Hello and welcome back. You're listening to the ACAP Coffee Break with Meg Murray, a podcast from the Association for Community Affiliated Plans. Thanks for listening. This podcast episode is brought to you by ACAP Preferred Vendor Claris Health. Today you'll hear from John Bacchus, the CEO of LA Care Health Plan. Here's Meg. So, John, welcome to the ACAP Coffee Break podcast. We appreciate your being with us today. I'm very happy to be here. Nice to be talking to you, Meg. Well, we're always proud to have LA Care as a member since you are the largest single plan. I know that some of the multi-state plans have a larger membership, but you're at 2.3. Soon we'll be at 2.3 million Medicaid lives. Yeah, we're over 2.3 million Medicaid lives now. And that's then a little bit more in the individual market, a little bit more in Medicare. So, right. um, so that's it's a big plan and an important plan. Um, and you've been doing great work, especially on social determinants of health, which is one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about today. But we, I always like to start off these podcasts asking our CEOs why healthcare. Why did you get into this? You could have chosen any field. What what was it that? Um, why did healthcare resonate for you? Well, um, if you'll bear with me, it's a, it's a, a bit of a story. Um, I graduated from college with a fine arts degree, and my first job was working for uh, municipal planning agencies. And uh, I had on the side, I had a graphic design business that I, as a freelancer. And I was approached by an HMO that was starting in Albany, New York, and uh, they asked me if I'd design a logo. Now, I didn't know an HMO from HBO, but I designed a logo. They bought it. Then they said, oh, can you do our marketing material and this, that, and the next thing? So I had a gig running with them. And uh, my daytime job uh, was coming to an end. So I went to them and uh, to the CEO and I said, you know, I'm going to have to cut this out because I've got to go find a real full-time job. And he said, well, why don't you come work for us? And I said, well, what would I do? And he said, well, you're a good talker. So uh, you can go into sales. And that was my entry into healthcare. And six months in, I thought, my God, this is great. I really enjoy what we're doing here. Uh, And uh, I felt it was more immediate than what I was doing in the uh, in the municipal planning agencies, because those are projects where you don't see the end for decades sometimes. And this was like, we were making day-to-day decisions and I really got into it. And I guess I really got into it because 12 years later, when that uh, gentleman retired, uh, he tapped me to replace him. And that was the beginning of a 45 year career in managed care. I'll know who to go to next time I need a logo. So. That's great. Right, I didn't right. realize that that was the background. That was it. And then how did you get to LA Care? And why And why did you go to LA Care? Because I knew you were an East Coaster for a long time. Yeah, and this is my fifth, uh, fifth stop in my career, third as a CEO. Uh, I was with AmeriHealth Caritas in Philadelphia. I was the president of their uh, Medicare division. Um, and uh, it was a very lovely place to be. I loved Philly and great group of people to work with. But I was approached by the prior CEO here who said, um, I'm retiring, you should throw your hat in the ring. And uh, I think I said to the guy, well, wait a minute, you're retiring and you're younger than I am. Why would they even talk to me? 
And then two months later, a recruiter calls and the recruiter was a guy I hired as a sales rep back in Albany in the 1980s. And he called me and said, I've got the LA Care CEO assignment and it has your name written all over it. So he, he talked me into coming out for the interview. And uh, when I got here and saw the opportunity, um, I said, I'd really like to do this. And uh, so um, I, they made the offer and I took it. And the thing that appealed to me is that um, the plan had become kind of a big frog in a big pond. I mean, Los Angeles County is the largest county in the United States with 10 million people. Uh, and at the time I was interviewing, LA Care had about 1.7 million members. So that made every sixth person in the county a member of the health plan. And I thought, you know, at that scale, they could be a catalyst for change, mm -hmm. considering it was all focused at the time on uh, Medicaid. So uh, I, I, that was what appealed to me. And uh, that's what we've been working on since we, I got here six and a half years ago. And now we're approaching two and a half million members with those other lines of business you mentioned. So now every fourth person in the county is a member of the plan. And I do think we do have and are doing things that are catalysts for change and making meaningful transformations. Well, I remember in 2017, you were very vocal during the repeal and replace debate <laughs> about um, the importance of Medicaid and um, in your voice, it was, it was a powerful voice in Washington. So we appreciate that. And, um, and also, I know you've been, you're, you, you talk often about how LA Care is the public option, that we have public options, uh, many of yeah. whom are safety net health plans and all the good, yeah. good work that plans can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are, you know, uh, for those of the people that are listening in, um, California has this unique uh, setup that goes back to the 1990s where uh, when they were getting ready to move Medicaid into managed care, um, they were concerned commercial plans would be fickle about rates and come in and out. So uh, since the counties were kicking in, they passed legislation that said the counties could create public entities that would operate as a health plan. And Los Angeles County uh, took, the, took the bait and they passed a uh, ordinance that created LA Care so that's how we got here. Now, of the public entities here in California, there are 16 of us. Uh, we're the only one <clears throat> participating in Covered California, the individual market exchange. And it's that uh, setup that I have said to many people, well, that makes us the only functioning public option in the United States. Because, uh, Meg, I'm sure you can recall the original legislation for the Affordable Care Act that passed the House had a provision in it that said states would create public entities that would participate in the individual market to provide competition to the commercial plans. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing. So uh, we are a public entity. We compete with five commercial plans in the Los Angeles market. And because of our status, we have enjoyed many years the lowest price position, which has then influenced the competition to reduce their prices. So I think uh, I, I'd like to say, hey, if you want to see a public option, come look at us. Uh, and uh, so here we are. And actually, that's similar to many of the other ACAP plans. We've done research showing that ACAP plan, Medicaid plans in general, ACAP plans in particular, tend to have the lowest price 
um, in the marketplace and, and help right. help drive it down. So, um, so the other thing that LA Care, as I mentioned before, is, is well known for is the work that you have done um, addressing social determinants of health, particularly housing. And I mm -hmm. wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. We all know about the housing, the homelessness <laughs> issues in LA Care and, or excuse me, in LA and what, what you yes. all are doing to address it. Unfortunately, we have the distinction of having the most homeless people uh, here in the county. The last census was over 66,000. Mm -hmm. And because of uh, great work that was done on the ground back when the Affordable Care Act was passed, uh, many of those uh, homeless people are uh, LA Care members. We, we uh, calculate that at any moment, 40,000 of our members are mm -hmm. homeless. Mm -hmm. So when the uh, County of Los Angeles and State of California proposed a whole person care waiver program, uh, one of the elements to be addressed, of course, was homelessness. And that whole person care program was targeted at people who are homeless and coming out of incarceration. So to help meet the local match, LA Care um, committed $20 million over five years uh, with the idea that that would support a certain number of people. And what has happened is that 232 individuals or families have been housed in permanent supportive housing with that money. Now that's a drop in the bucket, but uh, what we uh, tried to illustrate is that <clears throat> by having that in our uh, toolbox, when we had our homeless members who were being discharged from the hospital, rather than let them go back to the streets, we would do everything possible to move them into permanent supportive housing. So that led to us doing a pilot uh, out of our own funds uh, to pay for recuperative care, which provided a place for people to go after the hospital. And that gave us 90 days to then find permanent supportive housing for them. So I think it created a model um, that we hope to continue now that the waiver is over, but um, California is adding a new program, which I'm sure you've heard about. Uh, CalAIM, which has an enhanced care management element that will include money for community supports like uh, housing. And with the $20 million, did you, is LA Care actually paying for new housing to be built or to just house people in current housing? Uh, it's ha housing people in current housing because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to build housing here, I've learned is very difficult. Uh, California has many, many rules and regulations. And one of the problems for developers who do this all the time is the time they have to wait to get through all of that approval process. So we thought that our funding could be used more appropriately for immediate uh, placement of people in existing housing. Now, since um, the pandemic and Project Room Key, there have been more uh, housing units available for the folks that are homeless. And now a brief break for a word from our sponsor, Claris Health. In 2020, improperly paid Medicare claims resulted in $25 billion in overpayments, according to CMS. Learn how ACAP member LA Care Health Plan combats this problem with a high-functioning payment integrity team in Season 2 of Payment Integrity Perspectives, a podcast by Claris Health. In just four years, LA Care Health Plan quadrupled recoveries and dramatically reduced overpaid claims. Payment Integrity Perspectives is available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere your favorite stories are told. And now back to the coffee break. 
Well, um, kind of related to social determinants, the other issue that our plans and LA Care have worked on a lot is addressing the inequities in our health system. And ACAP is putting out a report looking at how plans are helping to address the needs of the LGBTQ population. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what LA Care is doing in that area or just with equity in general. Well, I, uh, well on the LGBTQ issue, I think the um, thing that I would uh, share with you is that um, we were the first plan to build a um, uh, network of providers uh, for people in transition. And uh, that was very uh, a big issue for the LGBT community um, that it, that be a covered benefit. And it is, but we put together a network of providers to do that so we could deliver on paying for those kinds of uh, services. Um, but that, that's a very, it's a big, it's a big program for a small number of people. And um, so that, that's been very important to us. Uh, I think what COVID has done, Meg, um, is that it's really made it uh, crystal clear that inequities in our society are a life and death matter. Um, and what we saw among our members, uh, and, and this is another thing that I don't think is widely known, we think about, we know that about 30% of our members work. Uh, about 80% of that cohort are full-time, the rest are part-time. So when the pandemic hit, those people were mostly in service jobs. So one of two things happened. They immediately lost their job uh, or they had to continue to work. They had to show up. So they couldn't, didn't have an option of working remotely. So they were out in the community, uh, going back into their homes. And when we look at the Medi-Cal population, which is uh, made up of a huge component of people of color, we saw that our black and our Latino members were infected, hospitalized and dying at three times the rate of the white population. And uh, it just seems to me, it illustrates the fact that if you uh, do not have the same resources available or uh, you cannot protect yourself the same way. And I think it's important that we begin to seriously look at the integration of social services with the care plans that the Medicaid plans put together for our members. Because as you know, if we're not addressing homelessness or we're not addressing food insecurity, uh, or uh, uh, security in general, uh, people don't have the ability to respond to good care and to thrive. So I think rather than us um, continually saying, oh, well here, uh, to get uh, food stamps here in California, it's called CalFresh, yeah, call this number, good luck. Um, it seems to me that we would be doing this population a greater service and the taxpayers if we said that uh, an organization like a, a health plan that's doing, that's doing Medicaid managed care, that if we identify a social service that would benefit the member in improving their health, that we be the agent that then qualifies them. Because we've got all the data and if they go to CalFresh, they've got to give them the same information we already have. So we're duplicating that and putting a burden on the member uh, who may have a million other things to worry about uh, to make that happen. So I think if we can 
find a pathway to integrate these social services that our members are eligible for in a more synergistic package, I think we'll save, we'll save taxpayer money in the long run and we'll get better outcomes for those members. Almost allowing the plans to be some type of presumptive eligibility site for other federal supports. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, we'll maybe have to have a separate conversation about that. Well, we can. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one that just jumps out to me that is so obvious is medically tailored meals. I mean, we know that anytime we pay for medically tailored meals for a member, uh, which up until uh, January 1st, we had to pay for out of our own reserves. Now the state will begin to pay for that. The, the return on that investment in terms of reducing hospitalizations and, dis, and uh, repeat admissions is phenomenal. So there's no question that if we make those investments as part of a coordinated plan to benefit a particular beneficiary, we're gonna see results. Well, as the CEO of a, a plan like LA Care, it's, um, it must be a wonderful uh, capstone to your career to be able to make these changes and, and to be involved in, in, in an area where there's so much attention because just the size of LA Care. And, I wondered when you think back to yourself when you were a graphic designer or a sales rep at Community Health Plan there in New York, what, what skills or characteristics do you think helped you um, in the most in making that journey from the beginning of your career to, to being where you are so that you can make these changes? Well, you know, uh, my fine arts degree came from Southern Illinois University, which had within the School of Fine Arts a design, uh, what they called the design department, and it was run by Buckminster Fuller, oh. who was the uh, geodesic dome architect, uh, designer, and many other things. And the focus of that program, which I didn't realize while I was doing it, but it became apparent later, was about problem solving. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was the um, thing that has helped me the most, uh, was recognizing that you know, the ability to solve a problem is really a skill. And um, I think the education I got there really helped me do that. Now, I didn't really get as key, um, <clears throat> as clued up about social justice till later uh, when I was uh, living in the Albany, New York area. I, I was part of a, um, uh, I mean, I was a, on a board of a not-for-profit organization that was uh, really aimed at uh, eliminating poverty. And through that organization, I began to get the link between about what social justice really means. And so marrying that with this problem solving kind of orientation, I think has served me well. And um, I also wanna say, I hope this isn't the capstone, Meg. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna have another plan, I hope so too. <laughs> So anyway, huh. well, but I found uh, that very helpful. Yeah, that's interesting. The 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 um, mix of those two. I want to go back and think about that. Um, and then the last question we always ask people on our podcast is, "What book are you reading right now that you would recommend, either because it just takes you away from the stress of the job, or because it uh, is giving you learnings that you need on the job?" Well, I just finished a book called Stealing Home. And it's a book about the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, coming here from Brooklyn. 
and it has a very social justice bent to it. And it's about the backstory of the people who lived in Chavez Ravine, who were basically thrown out of their homes so that we could have uh, a big shiny baseball stadium. Mm -hmm. And the story is, uh, it, it goes into such great detail, but it talks about how people focus their lives on something. And uh, it was very relevant to now because there were, uh, you know, we, we have social unrest now and, and great concerns. And back at the time they were assembling the land was during the Red Scare period. And originally they condemned the land for public housing, but then public housing became associated with communism and so the public housing idea died and the city said, well, then we'll sell this land to this guy to build a baseball stadium. So it, it was a very, very interesting story and it connects a lot of dots. And uh, so I would recommend it to baseball fans as well as people who are interested in social justice. Well, I think we have a lot of those at ACAP. So, um, <laughs> so we will add that to our Goodreads book list, which we keep when we ask this question. Um, but, Stealing yeah, Home by Eric Nuss. Oh, okay. Actually, I think, was that a, maybe, either I read a review of that a while ago, or it was a magazine article that he turned into a book, but I, I think I have. Yeah, he, uh, this book came out in 2020, so it's fairly yeah. recent. Oh, interesting. Well, John, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about your, your travels and um, the really important work you're doing at LA Care. As I said, we're very proud to have you all as members. Well, we're proud to be a member of ACAP, as you know, Meg, and we applaud the good work you do on our behalf. Thanks for listening. You can find all book recommendations on our Goodreads bookshelf. You'll find the link in the description of this podcast. Don't miss an episode. You can find and subscribe to the ACAP Coffee Break wherever you get your podcasts. When you do, give us a shout on Twitter using the hashtag ACAPCoffeeBreak. We'll put you in a drawing for a Starbucks gift card. So the next time you tune in, your coffee's on us. This has been the ACAP Coffee Break, brought to you by Claris Health. Thanks for listening.